Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I have the great pleasure to speak with Whitney Clapper, Senior Global Environmental Activism Marketing Manager at Patagonia. Patagonia, like Ben & Jerry's, is one of my favorite brands in the world because they truly believe that business should be a force for good. We talk about her journey from being an athlete that never quits to creating her own company to eventually working at Patagonia on the activism and environmental side of the business. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, I'm so excited about this episode because I get to chat with someone from one of my favorite companies, Patagonia. So Whitney, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. This is Whitney. Gosh, I'm at Patagonia. I have been here for six years in this role as environmental marketing. The title varies day by day, but for the most part, what that means is that I work closely with our environmental campaigns team um, to bring to life environmental campaigns that they have been focused on and we've been focused on as a brand for decades and decades. And they vary in topic and range. Um, they are for the most part around uh, biodiversity and protecting land and water. They're around climate. Um, we, are, we are slowly starting to blend more and more justice, environmental justice, social justice into all of those different campaigns and also working to, to be more conscious about indigenous-led campaigns as well. So that is a very brief nutshell, but that, that really can span um, a variety of different topics globally, locally, state by state. It really just depends on what we're trying to do, who we're working with, and what we're trying to accomplish. Mm, awesome. Yeah, no, we were we were talking before we hit record about how each of the things you're involved in could be a, a full-time job because it would be so exciting to focus on those things. So we, we will get into that. I want to start back a little earlier. Um, I noticed, did I notice you played tennis in college? I, I attempted, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we have that in common. Uh, nice. But you played lots of sports, right? So you were super active as a as a child? Absolutely. Yeah. From the start, I think I, I had parents that were basically like, if you want to, you want to get somewhere, you have a bike, use it. So I, that was, that was what I did. I rode my bike everywhere. Um, I played, I played tennis and soccer as the sports that, that really didn't require me to have a lot of skill. I basically just outlasted everyone. So that was my super <laughs> strength. Um, right. I, you know, I didn't have a magical top spin. I just, could, could last longer on the court than everyone else. And they called me the backboard for better, for worse. Same with soccer. Uh, I could, I could get the ball up and down the field um, a little bit faster and a little bit more efficiently, but then I had to pass it to someone else to actually score. So that's, that's how I got through organized sports. And then that really turned into um, loving, loving the bike. So continuing with that mountain biking quite a bit um, that also then evolved into climbing and surfing and, attempting snowboarding um so yeah it, it's kind of the the jack of all trades 
master of none, but loving to be outside and active. I love that. What what sports are you doing today? Is it the snowboarding and rock climbing and surfing? You know, we I have a an almost seven year old, and we we started to take him climbing, and he's he's actually falling in love with it, which has been really fun. Um, surfing, I'd love to say that I'm surfing every day. That is not true because I really just don't like the winter big waves and cold water. I'm much more of a you know long, slow, littler waves, um, which come more in the summer. Um, running, mountain biking, I ride every, every once at least once a week with with our photo director. We get out early in the morning and kind of kick off a Tuesday or Thursday with a ride. So really trying to stay active that way. And then, you know, yoga, yoga is the balance to all of those activities. So, yeah. and then it's really just chasing my child around the house, um, <laughs> which, which is a legitimate activity. He's gotten into a parkour. So he, like, he's taking this ninja Jedi training, which of course in Ojai, California, like, of course there's a ninja Jedi trainer. Um, so, you know, we do parkour as a family and it's like parkour into bed just as much as it's parkour to the dinner table, just as much as, you know, parkour around the town. So I love that. I always, one of my favorite things is when we get to exercise as a family. I think that's so great. Um, and I'm sure the yoga helps you chase him around the the house and stay limber. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it the book? I, I read um, uh, the book. Um, is it Let My People Go Surfing? Is that? It is. Yeah. Super, super good book. So I'm sure exercise is encouraged at Patagonia. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mental, physical. Yes. Exercise. Stepping yeah. away from the desk. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, now I have to sit on this bouncy ball. It's like we're used to standing up. We're used to being around. We're used to walking in yeah. meetings or meeting in the ocean. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's basically catering to anyone who who needs a different way to focus that doesn't you know isn't able to focus as much at the desk yeah well that works that works we got we have people at our company that sit on the bouncy ball and you you, you can keep a little active um so i'm curious as you think about you know when you were growing up all the sports you were playing did you have an idea what you wanted to do when you you know quote unquote grew up or was it sports were you like i really would love to make one of these things a profession? You know, my, so my father was an English professor at a a local liberal arts college, which is essentially where I grew up. Um, My mom was a teacher before she, before she had kids. And so I I guess I always thought there would be some sort of not traditional teaching. I never saw myself in a classroom because that's not personally how I learned, but I always saw myself outdoor, you know, outdoor education or some sort of kind of work with with kids outside. Um, That seemed to be a pretty logical path. I think, you know, I got into studying sociology in college and that that is really what helped turn me into more of this curiosity around people in general. Um, And so I think later in years, I saw myself as a, a social worker or as someone who was it international, some sort of cultural awareness or cultural anthropology, something like that. Um, because I always found myself just fascinated by people that didn't look like me, other cultures, that sort of thing. I um, you know, I, I dabbled in in working in a battered women's shelter and did that for a year, and that was, I mean, incredible and soul crushing at the same time. Um, and that quickly helped me realize that social work is not for the faint of heart and 
I didn't know if I could see myself doing something like that long term. But I do think that it wasn't necessarily the sport that I did, but it was this recognition that I, I found myself um, running a lot and biking a lot and just getting outside to get out of my own head. And that is where I recognize, you know, something about the intrigue with the outdoor industry. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to school for marketing. I didn't go to school for business. I didn't go to, you know, the traditional route for, or maybe being in the field I'm in currently, but I sure went to school for the environmental activism work that I'm doing. And that is completely coming to life as a benefit now, um, more so than ever. So no, I, I was the kid that like told my dad, you know, when he would ask me these questions, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I know what I don't want to do. And that was, that was kind of how I navigated life more so. I think that's just as important. I think so many people end up in jobs that if they had thought about that earlier, they would realize, yeah, that should be on my list of what I don't want to do, but people get trapped in careers. 100%. Yeah. So uh, I want to get to all that work at um, Patagonia, but um, I want to stop at one point in in your journey. Um, Talk to me about side of the road sessions. Um, Side of the road sessions was, was, uh, yeah, like a side of the road session outside of a, a kind of a traditional route of work. It was my own, I hated to call it a marketing company. I kind of erred on the side of my own storytelling company. And it literally was one of those where um, my partner and I had been in Ventura working with Patagonia Footwear for a little while. He took a job that um, encouraged him to take over working with our Latin America team for, at the time, Patagonia Footwear, Merrill Footwear, and Chaco Sandals. And his boss was in Michigan. And so we had relocated. We'd made the decision. I remember the day because it was a day where we were surfing in the morning in Ventura and then we were climbing in the afternoon in Ojai and we made the decision to move to Michigan. (laughs) I was kind of like (laughs) heartbroken, a little bit excited, but kind of like, let's, let's try it. You know, what if we got to lose? This was before kids, before dogs, you know, before family life. Mm -hmm. So we, we made it to Michigan. We had, we'd given ourselves two years. Like we had to say to your commitment. And pretty much to the day, we were in Michigan for two years. And the, the end of those two years, we, we had this moment of recognizing, you know, it's only we're, we're going to start to have kids. We're going to, you know, we're going to get more stationary in some cases as we get older and recognize that we weren't ready to settle down. So we had, we had actually quit our jobs and we're going to travel the world and, and wanted to do that, you know, that dream for a little while and then eventually come back. But Two, two weeks before we decided to leave, um, we'd, we'd bought a house, we'd sold it, we'd sold a bunch of our stuff, and two weeks before we were ready to, to hit life on the road, um, we got, my husband got a call from Patagonia, clothing Patagonia in Ventura, um, not the footwear side, but the clothing side, and, and it was kind of this moment of like, well, we really, in Michigan, we just, we missed our outdoor life a lot, and if there was one company that we would give up traveling the world for, it would be Patagonia. Um, so we moved, we moved back to Ojai. But one thing we committed to doing was still a month on the road. And, and we went to see Tour de France um, for that month. And, and literally, it was one of those days where we're sitting on the side of the road, as you do, to wait for the peloton. 
and you sit for hours in these remote, beautiful towns with your baguette and your bottle of wine waiting for the Peloton. And, and it was one of those moments like, oh, side of the road session. Like we are in a side of the road session. And I was having this moment of I, like, I was creative in that moment. I was writing. I, you know, all these ideas were coming to me. And, and throughout the trip, I'd been getting messages from people kind of asking what I was doing next and would I be willing to help with, you know, a social media strategy or helping frame up a mission statement or helping to figure out a newsletter or something that was kind of all of these little pieces came together for me to realize like, oh, side of the road sessions. Like it's probably the worst name from, from like a true marketing, like, you know, SEO standpoint. <laughs> but I didn't really care. It was it was one of those where I thought, well, this is exactly what I want to offer my people is this kind of creativity that came from this side of the road, sitting waiting for the Peloton sort of front. So we moved back to Ojai. Um, my husband, Chris, took the job with Patagonia, and I began my own little adventure of storytelling for a couple of smaller brands and businesses in town, and then was able to to join forces with a film production company and work on a film project in Afghanistan about the women's Afghan cycling team. And I was able to do photo shoots for, for Merrill again and, you know, adventure and travel from a different perspective for Merrill and produce those shoots. It was, it was really kind of a fun mm-hmm. moment. Um, and that was a couple of years that I was involved with Side of the Road Sessions. And then Gabe came along, our little boy, and the, the appeal for being back on a team, the appeal for Patagonia daycare was real. Mm. And so that's <laughs> right. when I jumped back into to working with Patagonia. Oh, I love it. Well, that I love the name, if it means anything. I think it, it first of all, it's great that there's some really cool story behind it, but um, I think it invokes uh, a freer, um, more open way to storytell and brainstorm. Anyways, I like it. <laughs> so Thank you. Um, okay, so... When you went back or, or when you went after that and you joined Patagonia, was it right away you were involved in the um, environmental side or did, did you have to work your way toward that? Uh, it was a, a work toward that. Right away, I was part of the brand marketing team, but that, that team was brand new. And they, Patagonia had never had a brand marketing team. Um, I, you know, the, I, in some cases, I had only been a brand marketer in the outdoors or in the outdoor industry. So I'd been a brand marketer for Patagonia Footwear. I was a brand marketer for Chaco. Um, it was logical for me to move into a brand marketing position at Patagonia, but Patagonia was new to trying to figure out what that meant. So at the start, it was kind of a conglomeration of a lot of different things. It was, yes, it was Enviro, but it was also our, our warm wear program, our reuse program and repair program. It was film. It was our food, our provisions marketing. It was book. Uh, it was a lot of different categories into one, which have now, you know, all kind of separated out of brand marketing and are, are really their own businesses in a lot of cases. Um, so at the start, it was a little bit of everything uh, with focus a lot on film, which Enviro was a part of, as well as as Warnware. Um, the, you know, I, I think I have the the maybe non-traditional business path because I think I recognize throughout my stint as this young kind of early brand marketer for Patagonia that it just I wasn't I wasn't being effective because I couldn't do it all 
Um, there was no, there was not enough time in the world. I had, I still had a young child at home, you know, family life, and there was not enough time in the world to be able to really give all of these different programs just the time and effort they deserve. Um, so I actively kind of demoted myself and, and asked, you know, the VP really to, to kind of weigh the scenarios and was really, really looking to only want to working, work, work on the Enviro side. Um, because that's really where my heart and, and passion and background really um, made more sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, and not that I didn't love all of the other pieces. I, I love, you know, our, our provisions team and products are incredible books. I mean, film, we do incredible films. And it's not that I wasn't then going to work with all of these different divisions of the brand. It was more that I, my, I wanted my focus to be on the Enviro and the activism side mm -hmm. of things. And we would use film as a tactic. You know, we would use books as a tactic versus needing to be the marketer for these different divisions. So that is how I, I worked my way into this Enviro marketing position. And how long have you been in that role or in that side of the house? So six years total. I think I, I officially became more Enviro focused three years ago, something yeah. like that. So it's interesting hearing your story, um, you know, even, even from outlasting. So I think about like, what led you to be, um, I'm presuming you're really good at your role in the activism and Enviro, um, cause I, I, I see the work, um, but you, you have an outlasting sort of stick with it capability that you mentioned earlier. And, and I think that's, you know, required if you're going to do activism properly, right? It's not a, Hey, this quarter will be involved and then next quarter not. You've, you've got to stay with it. Um, I also think about your brand, your brand building experience, obviously tied intricately to the Patagonia brand is, is the, the change it wants to make in the world. So that fits. And then of course the storytelling, which is, as you know, better than I, that to really move people to take action that that really needs to come from story and and touching them um, in a way that only story can. And so, you know, if you were to outline what should someone have coming into that role, I kind of feel like that's what you did along the way. Uh, I think you're very kind. Um, I <laughs> I think uh, you know someone asked me what my superpower was the other day, and I was like, I think it's that I'm scrappy and that I I can have I have a pretty you know I'm I'm an empathetic learner um i don't i don't claim to know i know everything by any means but i i can sure as as well sit down and listen um and and prefer honestly to be on the listening side than the speaking side so i think i've 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 learned what has worked and what hasn't worked um and i i think that uh you know you can have you can have an incredible marketer who who can you know, share all the lingo and, and say all the, the jargon and put together a pretty incredible, you know, marketing presentation and deck. But if, if they can't really, you know, listen and, and learn from, from our Indigenous friends, from our, you know, our Black and people of color friends as we're navigating the world, uh, it's just kind of irrelevant. So I think I've, I've definitely learned what it takes to really be good at um, environmental and activism, you know, marketing and storytelling and yeah. continue to learn. Like, it's not like I've learned that one. Like this is an ongoing, you know, lesson. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, empathetic learner, I love that. I love that phrase. Um, and I think, 
you know, my, my hope is that more people um, can find that empathy within them. Um, one of the uh, one of the nonprofit leaders I I really love and respect um, likes to say that proximity changes everything, meaning that the more something is real to you, the more you will get involved and see the pain, even if even if you're not experiencing it. And I think that's where storytelling and obviously empathy comes into play. And it, it's got to be at the crux of what you all are trying to do, right? Like the the company itself can obviously leverage resources, you know, people and, and dollars and influence, but also it's moving people and motivating people, right? Through story. Like that's, that's the critical piece. It has to be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, you know, I was talking to, to one of my friends the other day who identifies as, as Asian and, you know, with all of the, the, the hatred and really horrible news coming out lately around Asian hatred. Um, it was one of those where I was, you know, trying to, in some cases, just say, I'm, I have no idea what you must be feeling. And, and like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for how hard this must be. And, and her response back was a good one, because she said, you know, but you can feel it. And I said, well, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I can feel it, maybe not to the full degree, but I can, I can feel it. And I think that is, you know, how do you teach empathy? Um, and regardless of, of business, regardless of, you know, goals for the business, like, I feel like if, if we can all learn a little more empathy, um, we'd be in such a different place. Right. I think that's, that's the key. Um, I don't know if you've read, um, Ijeoma Oluo, she wrote, um, so you want to talk about race and then my favorite mediocre, <clears throat> which is about white men, um, but she, I heard her in a talk she gave to Google and she said that um, she was talking to one of her white friends and she was explaining how, you know, she has a son and she has to, to teach him when you get pulled over by the police, like, you know, don't make any sudden movements. You know, if you're going to reach into the glove compartment, tell the officer, get approval, you know, things that white people don't necessarily have to think about. And I certainly was never told that, you know, as a kid. And, and her friend said, oh, I'm, I'm, I feel so, um, you know, lucky. Um, and, and I appreciate the fact that I'm lucky in the sense that I don't have to tell my son those things because, because, you know, he's white. And she said to him, she said, why don't you have to tell him those things? Like, you mm -hmm. should be telling him those things. Like he needs yeah. to know that that's what happens on the other side. And that's the only way he's going to build empathy and start to understand. And I think too often we lose sight of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's hundred percent. I mean, honestly, I, I got pulled over the other day after dropping my kid off at um at his little pod and I had this moment of like oh, thank god I'm a white woman but then mm -hmm. I was like wait a second this is like this system is not I mean we already know it's broken but like it was to be in those shoes and for that to be my initial feeling this is so it's so wrong um and yeah I mean I, there's been so many more people kind of speaking out about just the, the brokenness of, of systems in general regardless of of what the system is and, and this need to really, you know, disrupt and, and dismantle these systems mm -hmm. before we can think about reimagining them. And I think we want to like, I, I noticed, you know, for me, I noticed for, for a lot of us at Patagonia, there is this like, hey, we know we've done wrong. Let's like fix it right away instead of really going yeah. through this, this journey of, of disrupting, dismantling, and then being able to reimagine kind of with new eyes of how we need to redo and rebuild the systems that we have in place. 
Yeah. Um, and that it's important to really sit in in the heaviness and the weight and the sadness. Because that's you know, that's really how we're gonna be able to feel. Um yeah. and then be able to pull and decide to know how to move forward. Um, yeah, and that's where the story telling comes in. Um and so I guess I'm curious at at Patagonia, um you, you all you, you have lots of areas. You mentioned them earlier um, that you you are focused on. I'm kind of curious, is there sort of an overarching strategy, um, and and how do you make sure that activations you're getting involved in are starting, um, you know, a sort of align with the strategy? Because I know you probably see problems everywhere. You know, battered women as an example, and you can't get involved in everything if you really want to make a impact. So obviously, the environment um, is a big part of what you all stand for, but. How, how do you think about that? Like, how do you, how do you mar- march the team toward the initiatives that you really need to be focusing on? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good question and, and not an easy, simple yeah. answer. Um, I think that, the, you know, the company's in the midst of a lot of, of soul searching, right? And in the midst of a lot of disrupting and dismantling that we can reimagine. And it is one of those where I will say out of all of the different companies I've worked or um, this is how to is the first company where I think everyone knows our mission statement as an as an employee. Um, and so we recently changed the mission statement uh, a couple of years ago to be simply we're in business to save our home planet. And so at the you know at the pinnacle of our strategy and goals like that that is what we're working towards. Um, you know the tactics and and the how we get there of course is is that's still being worked out. I think our Enviro team has has identified Enviro priorities that we want to focus on. Um, one of them being all about the fact that we are in not only the climate crisis, but we're in the extinction crisis as well. So focus work on biodiversity, um, on protecting 30% of land and waters by 2030, commonly kind of, or starting to be more commonly called 30 by 30 which then evolves into 50% by 2050 as a climate solution. That is that is a focus. Um, this is recognition of a lot of the practices that we are we are talking about. Regenerative agriculture being a big one of them, um, or big one is is kind of really going back to indigenous agriculture. So recognizing that work there, and then of course continuing this climate journey that we've been on for a while. Um, so those are kind of the focus areas from Enviro's perspective, but I think the company is still trying to figure out what is, is there like a single company strategy that we're focused on to get us to this saving the home planet. Um, I think we're, you know, we're still putting that together. I think there's a, there's a desire to reimagine capitalism. You know, what does that look like? And is that where we get more into our warmware programs and, and, the you know the benefits of, of keeping clothes in use longer as a carbon saving effort, um, among you know many other other things that work towards saving the home planet, and also just the recognition of um, kind of the, the community work, the grassroots work of of needing to unite people together also to save the home planet. Um, you know all of these different pieces are are kind of coming together in a lot of different discussions to give us you know, that that pathway forward as we reimagine the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not, not, not an easy answer, but I think ultimately there is this kind of goal of, of saving the home planet and, yeah. and recognizing there's 
so much involved in that. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, a product of one of your initiatives, which is um, I, I got a rip in one of my jackets and I mailed it off. And sure enough, came back fixed, no, no charge, no nothing. It was awesome. Um, and I just love that. That that's an example where, again, I think you, you said reimagining capitalism. I just think it's like you didn't make money on that transaction, you know. But uh, certainly, you're living into your mission, and you're also creating a customer in me that will never, you know, I'll never go away, and I'll tell people about it. So it's a smart thing. It, it will in the long term make you money, but it's also the right thing. And I just I, I find it incredible that someone like you exists in corporate America, that that there there is a person and a team working on activism at a for-profit. Um, the, re, the way we got connected was because um, Jabari Paul at Ben & Jerry's connected me over to you guys, and I interviewed him on the podcast, and, and they're a similar company. Um, and so I my question to you is, what are the brands that you see that you you all look to because he said specifically they look to you guys as one of the top if not the top um, that inspires them what are some of the brands that you see out there um, that are really leading with purpose and mission um, authentically yeah good question i mean likewise i, I mean I, I think it is ben and jerry's is they are absolutely and have been you know walking the walk and talking the talk um, and I, you know, we're in, in conversations with them quite often on a, a number of different environmental efforts and learning from them in a lot of cases at that intersection of social and environmental change. Um, so they, yeah, they, I, I yeah, I, I have to say there was this little like self-doubt of like, I can't follow Jabari, <laughs> like that's <laughs> insane. But um, yeah, no, Ben and Jerry's for sure. I think that they're, there are a number of different brands. Like I admire Burton's work to to kind of be in a similar space with Patagonia and really recognize that we are predominantly white companies and how do we want to show up and, and kind of evolve and, and reimagine um, the work again at this intersectional space of environmental and social justice. And, and I feel like they, you know, they're, they're making some bold moves, which is great. I think there's, there's many of other, you know, a lot of different size brands. Merrill's doing a lot of great work with just bringing uh, more people of color into at least their marketing. You know, I hope that it goes deeper than marketing, um, but it looks like they're doing great work. Um, there are smaller brands. There's a, a brand, Way So Shop, where they're in Los Angeles, and they we worked with them on our recrafted um, product line, where we essentially, um, you know, it, it, it's it's putting wraps together to build product um and they do all sorts of incredible work in the repair space they made numerous numerous masks for for frontline and just indigenous communities um, over these last few months and they they are, are definitely using their business for good um and there's there's a lot i feel like there there has been an awakening you know in in the business mm -hmm. space and i think there's always this balance of um business for good is needed, you know, so is continuing with this grassroots organizing effort. And I think, you know, arguably you could say nonprofits aren't necessarily businesses, but in a lot of cases they are, they are run like businesses. And we work with thousands of, of smaller nonprofit organizations, you know, globally. And we have been um, working with small nonprofit organizations for, you know, over 40 years now. 
and it's one of those where we we really I mean the grassroots organizing is is a, a bread and butter in some cases for us because we have these relationships and we really do believe that it does start at this local level the change starts at the local level and yes it's starting in business as well but you know you need both um, to really continue to move any effort and initiative forward so there's lots of different you know um, businesses to celebrate. Uh, for sure. I hope we continue to keep it going. Well, I'll share a quick story with you and then I'll ask my final two questions. Um, my company, Dragon Army, um, we're a digital engagement agency. We build websites and mobile apps and um, all sorts of fun digital things, but we have a purpose to inspire happiness. And we, and we do that through the community and through the work that we do. And we really try to live authentically to this. And it's funny because I have a friend that's also in my industry and he had a leadership team meeting and asked his team, um, his leaders, uh, you know, who do we aspire to be like? And the answers were the, the you know, the top agencies, you know, the, the really creative agencies that have won awards and whatnot. And when he told me that, I just thought to myself, man, I would be so disappointed if my team members said that, um, even though that would be the typical answer. So I did that uh, exercise with my team and uh, Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia were the two top companies that were listed by my team, right? And so that showed me like, they get it. Like they get, yes, we happen to do this digital work, but that's not why we exist. And so I guess I'll just say that you all are inspiring, I think, companies like mine to get out there and really live our purpose and rethink capitalism and how we build our businesses. Nice. Well, yeah, it takes all of us together, right? I'm, I'm a firm believer. Like if I had to choose one word for this year, it would be unity. And maybe that sounds cheesy, but I just, I'm a firm believer, you know, even the sociology work you know, studying, taking a lot of feminist theory and, and feminism classes, you know, recognizing that we can't, you can't have the feminist movement without men, right? Like we can't have, we can't have significant change at this, this intersectional lens of, of social and environmental without kind of all people, all colors, all communities working together. And so, yes, it's going to take Dragon Army, it's going to take Patagonia, like we have to continue to hold each other accountable. Um, in order to truly live up at least to our mission of saving the home planet. That's, that's just plain and simple fact. I love that. Okay, so uh, fun question for you. What are a couple of your favorite books of all time? I assume you read, you like to read books here and there? Is that... <laughs> I do like to read books, yes. <laughs> Some people don't, and that's cool. Some people prefer yeah. magazines, but okay. What are a couple of your favorite books of all time? Of all time? Um, I mean, A Wrinkle in Time is, it's like a tried and true classic for me. Um, we, my, my son is getting into the Roald Dahl book and I forgot like how, how like kind of scary they are, but they're also so creative. So fantastic. Mr. Fox has been a favorite. Um, I think there is, I mean, I, I feel like this is like the book that everyone says, but braiding sweetgrass, mm. um, Robin Wall Kimmerer, um that book I you know I'm have read it and I'm reading it again like this is like a permanent fixture by my bedside table because there's so many nuggets in there and it's like you read paragraph by paragraph have to like you know put it down and really think it through at least from my perspective um so those are some of the yeah those are the go-tos and the classics I mean there are so many more I I love books and I always love the idea of getting in bed at night and reading, but 
in reality, getting in bed and reading means I read two sentences and I fall asleep because the days are what they are. But I have so many books on my shelf. Um, but I have to say those are probably the, like the, the returning, you know, go-to everlasting books that will always be on the shelf. Awesome. Awesome. Love that. I actually haven't read Braiding Sweetgrass. Um, I've actually not, I've actually not heard of it. I can't wait to look it up. <laughs> wow. I'm surprised, but I'm also excited for you because this <laughs> is, it's a great read. I'll report back. I'll report okay. back. Okay. So final question for you. What, what didn't I ask that either you wish I would, wish I would have asked or, um, is something you'd like to share? Hmm. That's a good question. What didn't you ask? And what do I want to share? I mean, I, I think um, how not to just ramble on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess I wonder if like throughout the day, and I'm asking you this question, I guess, I'm going to do a little reverse interview mm. here. Um, knowing there's so much happening in the world, knowing there's so much happening in the news, knowing all of the injustices that are happening to people globally every single day. Um, when, when you are, are you at Dragon Army, like how much of, of kind of a need for a kind of global wake up, how much of that comes into play as you work kind of reimagine and, and focus your business mm. and the work that you do? That's a great question. That's a really great question. Um, we're, we're much smaller than you guys, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, and so we're mostly focusing on local um, and, and we're in Atlanta. So most of the work we're doing is in diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Um, and so what we're trying to do is use, like, honestly, like, again, I, I, I'm such a fanboy of Patagonia. Um, I, I think like one of my goals is for Dragon Army to be one of the most successful agencies in Atlanta. And yet when people look at us, most of what they see us talking about, and certainly what they see me as the CEO talking about are ways that we try to help our community. And so my hope is that that inspires, we, we like to talk about ripple effects, um, that it inspires um, more leaders to be willing to do this. Um, I think people want to, um, and, and I think they, they believe that they can't be successful if they do that that they take their eye off the ball at all. So I think we're just trying to start locally in our community and Atlanta is a great place to, you know, there's lots of change that needs to happen. Um, but uh, we haven't yet gotten to the global aspect of, uh, of how we can get involved. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer. We have <laughs> okay. a store in Atlanta. I don't know if you've connected with our store in Atlanta, but you know, it might be an interesting relationship to, to build that out a little bit more because Atlanta, I mean, as you know, is, is very different than mm -hmm. California. Um, and the, the community of Atlanta is, is one that is so fascinating. And I feel like there's a lot to learn from a community like that versus, you know, where we are in California. So awesome. Involved. I will. I will check that out. Well, uh, Whitney, thank you so much for doing this. I, I really can't um, state strongly enough um, the impact that I believe you all are making in the world. I, I, I firmly believe that business should be uh, a force for good in the world. And I really think it's, if I can say it, our, our last best chance to create change. You know, government, depending on what side you are, isn't trusted. Um, nonprofits are underfunded and underappreciated and undersupported, but everybody works at, 
a company in some way, shape or form or is affected by a brand. And I just think, think that's where the change can happen. And, and you all, I mean, I, I had my leadership team read, um, uh, let my people go surfing um, because I wanted them to to see that a business could really do this. So I just can't thank you enough for the great work you're doing and certainly for joining me and sharing your story. No, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And I, I agree. I think there's a lot of strength in, in businesses um, taking a stand. I also think that we have to continue as individuals we need to take that stand in our own communities as well. So again, together, uniting business and, and individuals will we'll figure it out. So I have a lot of hope for that to happen and for change to come. Me too. All right. Thanks again, Whitney. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. 